I invite you to, to turn in your bulletin over onto page three. We've been studying the book of Numbers uh, these, these last months here at Emmanuel, and when we come to this, uh, this episode in chapters 13 and 14, it's a pretty big chunk of scripture, but it all goes together, so we, uh, we, we don't want to leave part of it out. Uh, we read uh, the portion of chapter 13 earlier, uh, and we're going to just pick up where we left off. Uh, what's happened so far is uh, here are God's people at the border of the promised land. Uh, spies have been sent out, 12 of them, and they've come back uh, with this report of the, the good land with strong, uh, strong inhabitants and enemies. Uh, Ten of them, you might remember, declare, this is too much for us, we can't do it. And there's Caleb, and we'll see Joshua as well, urging the people to, to faith in Christ, their faith in the Lord, to move ahead. Uh, the reports come in, so now we get to chapter 14, and we see how the congregation of God's people respond to the report. Uh, in, your, in your bulletin, you see the first 11 verses uh, printed out there. I'm going to read all the way to 35, because that's really the whole of the, of the passage. Um, but listen, listen as, as we look at God's word from the book of Numbers. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Would that we had died in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the, all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. Now, and now, please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to, your great, to the greatness of your steadfast love, 
just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land uh, in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, How long shall this wicked people, wicked congregation, grumble against me? And I have, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land which I where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said will become a prey, I will bring in. They shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your un your faithfulness, faithlessness, uh, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, forty days. A year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, uh, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely I will do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to an end, and there they shall die. Uh, let's pray for God's blessing. Lord, we do pray that you would use this challenging passage of your word uh, to, to show us our need uh, and the greatness of your mercy in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, not exactly a fun passage. It's really one of the low, low points in the history of God's uh, old covenant people, Israel. Uh, later scripture refers back to this incident and calls it the rebellion. The rebellion. And an entire generation despises God, rebels against him, and, and the whole generation is barred from the promised land uh, and dies in the wilderness. The whole generation, save two. Uh, and all of it within the, the visible people of God. In other words, we're, we're not talking here about those, those nasty heathen out there, uh, the, the nasty nations. But, but what we might say, church-going people. People have heard about God and know his mighty works. Scripture again and again refers back to this incident. It's, it's repeated several times in Deuteronomy, in the Psalms, in 1 Corinthians, in Hebrews. And every time this, this passage is referred back to, it's always by way of warning. It's always, watch out. Do not harden your hearts like that generation. Watch out, people of God, is the warning. Don't rebel like they did. Uh, in fact, Hebrews 3 is, is one of those passages. I printed 
uh, a couple of the verses there in the in the outline. Hebrews is just has just referred back to this this episode, and then you kind of get the challenge, the conclusion, uh, which will form basically the the thrust of of our message here this morning. Uh, here's what Hebrews three concludes about having taken in this incident. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's basically what we're going to try to do today. We're going to try to exhort one another, uh, watch out for the deceitfulness of sin, uh, and then hold fast to your confidence. Christ. Right? Watch out for the deceitfulness of sin. Hold fast to Christ, not just today or yesterday, but all the way to the end. Uh, it's, it's not the most fun thing to walk through, spend a lot of time talking about the deceitfulness, ugliness of sin, uh, but apparently it's the kind of thing we need to wrestle with. The scripture says again and again, look at this episode and, and watch out. So let's start there. Let's start with wrestling with the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we're going to try to learn. It's, we're going to actually pick up and do a part two next week. Uh, but uh, learn how to rebel against rebellion. Learn how to cast off rebellion. Well, if we're going to be able to do that, uh, we first have to be able to recognize it. And, right? Hebrews says sin is deceitful. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to be able to spot it. It's, not, it's more difficult to spot than we might think. And that's actually where a passage like this is somewhat helpful, because you get to see someone outside of yourself, and you get to see rebellion in very, very vivid colors, right? This is, this is rebellion against God, writ large, bright, bold, technicolor, uh, so we can kind of hold it up and, and see how, is there any connection to pockets of our life, the pockets of your life and mine? Uh, so several aspects of, of rebellion that kind of crop up that can help, help you and me to recognize it and where it's starting in our own lives. Uh, so they're listed in your bullets, and here's, here's the first one. Uh, look for a developing habit, a developing habit. So if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you've noticed that the book of Numbers is beginning to sound like a broken record. The last few weeks, it's been the same thing. And Israel started grumbling against the Lord. And Israel is grumbling some more against the Lord. And Israel is grumbling once again against the Lord. All right? It's a pattern. Now, this is the great climax. Uh, they're, they're grumbling big and bold against the, the big plan that God has for their entire lives. Uh, but it's not the first time they've grumbled against him. We've seen it several times. It doesn't appear out of nowhere. It, it seems to be a, a habit that they've, they've indulged in again and again. Actually, a habit that's turned more into a lifestyle uh, until it takes over the, the whole plan for their life, God's whole plan for their life. Um, so uh, we've also seen that it started with somewhat smaller things. Uh, you could go all the way back to earlier in Exodus or even the last couple weeks in Numbers. Uh, they started grumbling about some smaller things, about, about the menu in the desert, grumbling about what food is there, or grumbling about the, the role that Moses has. Uh, those are not insignificant, but, but they're relatively small compared to this one, which really is God's entire purpose for his whole plan, for his whole people, for their entire lives. Uh, but the grumbling has cropped up before, and it seems to be growing. The habit 
uh, is getting indulged in and taking over as a as a, as a lifestyle. Uh, and part of the ways, part of the way that you and I can recognize where rebellion against God can be cropping up is to start looking for that kind of pattern. Uh, small corners of our of our lives where uh, where we begin grumbling against God as if He wasn't really involved or wasn't present or uh, or wasn't trustworthy. Small little pockets of your world where you're doubting His promises. Can you can you start to see a pattern? Yeah. I don't grumble against God except on Mondays and when it's really hot and when the kids don't listen and. Can you see patterns? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warning. Uh, it's a warning. Be careful with the habit. If you're gonna, if you're gonna squash it, squash it while it's small. Or to use the, the picture from Shakespeare, uh, if you want to be protected against the viper, uh, it's better to crush it while it's still in the egg. Right? Squash the snake before it hatches, rather than try to fight it once it's big. Uh, and that's the, there's the call for God's people. We start to see patterns in small corners. Uh, take it seriously. Don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, the second one. Uh, you might be going down the road of rebellion if you're living like an atheist. Living functionally. As if God didn't exist. Uh, we, we, we talked about a couple weeks ago about the idea of, of filtering. Uh, you know, kind of like on your phone where you take a picture and then you can you, know, you can tap the different filters and certain things are filtered out. Or maybe it's later at night and you, okay, put that blue light filter on. So you see the real world, but uh, now, the, now the, the certain things are filtered out. And we saw them do this before, and here you get it really big. It's filtering God out of the picture. Uh, it's really looking at the world only there's this really big thing that happens to be filtered out, and it's God himself. His promises, his presence, or we could put it in a slightly different way, uh, it's living like a functional atheist. And sure, you might, you might claim to believe in God and know him, but in terms of the day-to-day -day life, it looks no different than someone who doesn't claim to believe in God at all. Uh, kind of functional atheism. And, and you do see that in Israel here. Uh, here they are, they're, they're, they're walking through their circumstances, and, and it's almost as if God doesn't exist at all. Uh, like he's completely been, been left, out of the, left out of the picture. Notice, for example, that when the report of the spies come back, uh, that, that all the spies agree, all 12, agree on the basic content of the report. Everyone says, really good land, and really strong people there. Everybody agrees on that. Uh, but where the disagreement comes in is whether God is involved in this at all. Uh, right? For the ten, it's just strong people and us. And they conclude can't do it. Actually, there's a really interesting way this comes out. Uh, because uh, they use, as the spies come back, they actually use to talk about the land some, some kind of stock Bible language to describe the land, uh, phrases and language that's, that's kind of been used many, many, many times before. Uh, it's the language of the land flowing with milk and honey uh, and the land uh, having these certain inhabitants. So the land flowing in with milk and honey. This is the classic Bible way 
uh, going all the way back in Exodus, or Exodus of describing, here's the land and how good it is. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Then the other uh, stock language that they use is the language of the, the nations that are there. Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Canaanites. This is like the classic list. And these, these two things, these two uh, phrases and stock languages used again and again to talk about the land. But here's what's interesting. Every other time that this language is used, milk and honey, these nations, every other time it's been used in the Bible so far, it's always combined with God's promise to give you the land. Every time. Land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, these nations, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Canaanites, I will give it to you, there, thus says the Lord. I will give it to you every single time. Exodus 3.8. 317, 1325, 233, 3322, 3314, 20, uh, Leviticus 2024. 20, you get the idea. Uh, every other time, this language, flowing with milk and honey, these nations, I will give it to you, thus says the Lord. Every time, until now. Now you get that language, and there's no promise of God brought up. It's as if it's as if the spies took that familiar language and just, okay, God's promise, delete, 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 delete. Like editing your, your high school paper. Mm, yeah, I don't like that. Delete, delete, delete. They, they completely deleted the promise of God out of their, uh, out of their report. It's gone. And, and functionally, you see how they're thinking about it. It's just, they're strong. We're not. Let's run. God's promise to give it to them, that, that he's promised to them, even in with this very language again and again, they just, they just deleted it out. Same kind of thing with, with God's presence. Uh, you, might, you might recall, if you've been with us for a while, uh, the beginning of our study of Numbers. Uh, we spent a number of weeks in the first couple chapters, and, and we looked at these different details of the camp in the wilderness and how it was arranged and how they would march uh, and, uh, and the work of the Levites. And we talked about the, the, the position of the tabernacle and what that was all about. And if you remember, there was one big point that came up again and again and again, like God knocking something through our head. It was God present with his people. For chapter after chapter, that was the strong message. God present with his people. And, and Joshua and Caleb bring it up again. Don't be afraid of this people. The Lord is with us. Don't you see this? The Lord is with us. But for the ten spies and the rest of the congregation, is it, it's as if God's presence has been completely removed. Right? Delete key. Get the presence of God gone, gone, gone. Even though the tabernacle is still there. Even though the camp's still the same way and the Levites and all, it's all still there. But it's if functionally speaking, God is now gone. Right? They're, they're living like functional atheists. And so that being the case, it just is strong people and not so strong us, then all of a sudden it makes sense. If God's not there, sure, run. But they're leaving out what is true. Uh, they're leaving out. They filtered out. They deleted out the promises of God and the presence of God. There they are, standing at the edge of the promised land. Clearly, you and I, we're, we're not standing at the, ed at the edge of, uh, of, of Canaan. But all of us are standing at the edge of something. There, there's something ahead that God has right in front of you. Uh, 
certainly it's it's something that has a lot of challenges with it uh, and and not wrong for you to see the challenges and feel like wow those those enemies are big no problem there that's reality the real question comes in is not do you see the challenges and are you uh, are, are you you know moved by that the real question is do you see God present as well do you see his his promises as being real or or have you conveniently deleted them out of the the picture God's presence, God's promises. If you're beginning to filter that out, living as a functional atheist, this is the big warning. Uh, the road, that's the road to rebellion. Two others, a little quicker. Um, you also might be headed down this, this deceitful, hardened road if you start sounding ridiculous. Uh, uh, did you catch this? I mean, there is some humor in this passage. Uh, especially in the congregation verses uh, 2 and following of chapter 14. So chap beginning of chapter 14, there at the top of the page, here are uh, the people have gotten the report of the spies, and now you get, here's how the congregation interprets it and, and decides, here's what we need to do. Right, they've gotten this report, and, and here's what they conclude. Now remember, uh, the nation hasn't taken one step into the promised land as a people yet. They haven't haven't, as a people, laid eyes on any enemies. They haven't engaged in a single battle. But here's what they conclude, for sure. Verse 2, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Uh, would, would that we had died in this wilderness. Or, or you get this great, uh, ridiculous logic in verse 3. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Right? So we've got we to gotta protect our, our little ones and our, and our wives, our families. Okay, so you know what? Let's just go all the way back to Egypt. That land where we were all slaves and that land where systematically children were killed among Israel. Yeah, let's go back there. That's the plan. Um, and actually, they even start to, start to form the plan. Verse 4. Uh, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Choose a leader, go back to Egypt. Well, for the last 80 chapters of Scripture... You know what God has been doing? His big plan for about 80 chapters of Scripture? He has chosen a leader to take his people out of Egypt to go into the Promised Land. Now they conclude, with just this one report, that the right thing to do is do the exact opposite. Let's choose a leader and go back. Let's undo everything that God has done in great miracles and signs and provision, and we're just going to undo all of it right now. That's the thing to do. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Many of us, in the midst of struggling, you know, we know we're in a bad place, we start sounding pretty ridiculous. Um, this one resonates with me. If you really want to talk to my family, they will most definitely confirm it. You know that I'm in a, not in a good place when a, you know, some challenge or some unexpected thing comes up, and all of a sudden I say, start saying the most ridiculous things. That's it. That's it. Sky's falling. Burn the house down now. You know, it sounds ridiculous. Kind of sounds like the Israelites. Um, if you find yourself sounding ridiculous, this might be this red flag. Maybe this is a really bad path. 
Maybe this is hardness of heart taking over. Uh, It's because unbelief, and that's really what you have here, uh, uh, not believing the presence and the promises of God, unbelief at its core is is irrational. It's irrational. It it doesn't fit the way the world really is. Uh, So if we begin to go down that, that, uh, that unbelieving path, it starts to sound ridiculous, at least to anyone else who's watching. Uh, so if you can develop that skill of kind of listening to yourself uh, or hopefully having good people in your life close enough who are willing to be honest enough to say, hmm, that sounds a little crazy. One more quickly. Uh, you can start to recognize rebellion in your life uh, because you're willing to sin to get what you think you need. You're willing to sin to get what you think you need. Now, this should have been a big, real big clue that they're headed for disaster. Uh, chapter 14. So they, they get this conclusion. We're going to go back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb urge them. Uh, urge them. Don't be afraid. Trust in the promises of God. God is with us. He's given the, this land into us. Uh, trust the Lord. Nothing real controversial there. Uh, but what does the congregation conclude? What, what's their response to... Trust the promises of God. Their their response, verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So so they're thinking, in order to get what we need, which is to get out of here and not do this land thing, in order to do that, in order to get what we need, we're going to have to sin to get there. We're going to have to kill innocent people who are just telling us to trust God. Yeah, that's the thing to do. If you're willing to sin in order to grab onto what you think you need, that's a bad path. In fact, that's one of the key ways that you start to uh, can start to be convicted and realize uh, that that this thing is is taking a godlike status in your life. Um, what you think you need, you're, you're you're willing to sin in order to grab it. So think about that. Is there is there any is there any place where you're like, well, I, I, I just have to make that compromise against God's will. I just have to ignore that. Well, that, that's a that's a flashing red light, uh, a big red flag. Uh, this is a bad path. So if you're going to rebel against rebellion, uh, you first got to recognize it. And again, what Hebrews said is that sin is deceitful. Uh, and so this episode, as Scripture again and again refers back to it, watch out. It's not fun, but, but, but watch out. And part of the thing, some of the things we can observe, we can ask ourselves, uh, is, is a habit developing? Are, are, you, are you starting to live like a functional atheist? Are you starting to sound ridiculous because the irrationality of unbelief is, uh, is bubbling up? Uh, are you willing to sin to get what you want and you think you need? So you recognize it. That's an important part, recognizing rebellion. But they're also, secondly, uh, realizing the sinful, the seriousness, and, and that was our longer point, so we're going to go quicker. Um, realizing the seriousness. This is critical, too, because it's one thing uh, to recognize it in your life. It's quite another thing to take it seriously. Uh, it's, it's easy to kind of say, okay, well, yeah, I probably shouldn't. Uh, God's not crazy about that, but come on, everybody does it. It's a whole other thing to realize that 
that rebellion is ugly and quite serious. And here we get into how God responds and the sad judgment that comes on God's people. So verse 11, you get God's, God's response. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, this is chapter, chapter 14, verse 11. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Right? See how, he, how God characterizes it. They're not, they're not believing in him, in him. Despite all the, all the promises, all the provision, all the great miracles over, over a long period of time, uh, they're not believing. In fact, they're despising. As Moses himself prayed, this, this God of Israel is holy. Yeah, he is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But Moses also says that this same God is one who will by no means clear the guilty. He's a holy God. Uh, and, and despising a holy God is not a safe thing to do. And so judgment comes upon Israel. Uh, you, you see what we've seen before is the judgment is essentially that which fits the crime. Uh, God essentially gives them what they want, right? They're, they say before the Lord, you know, it's better if we, if we died in the wilderness. And so God essentially says, you're going to die in the wilderness. There you go. Uh, they, they say, oh, if we can only go back to Egypt. And if you look actually at the route that they're taking uh, around away from the promised land, he takes them back to the Red Sea. It's the road back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt? Okay, we'll take that road. Uh, it, it, it's God giving them what they want. They want a life without God and his care and his protection. They want, to, they want to die in the wilderness, and God kind of, okay. This is the ugliness of sin. And, of course, the worst judgment God could ever give, uh, which is giving us what we crave. Giving us what we crave. And again, remember, so, so you have the entire generation dies in the wilderness. Save Joshua and Caleb. The entire generation, because of their unbelief, because of their rejection of God, they don't get to go in the promised land. Instead, they wander for 40 years until everyone uh, has died. And Hebrews 3, along with other scripture, refers back to this. And, and it's, it's by way of warning. Don't, don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And part of the deceitfulness of sin is, yeah, it's not that serious. Okay, we shouldn't do it, but not that big of a deal. And here's a powerful reminder. Actually, it, it is that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal. Even, even, even those who are, uh, who are in not, not heathen places, but, but churchy places, can fall into to this kind of heart. Uh, uh, this kind of hardness and this kind of deceitfulness. Uh, it's this vivid reminder of, wow, we got to take sin seriously. Uh, we, we need help. We can't go down this road. I can't go down this road. You can't go down this road. Uh, and I need a rescue, which gets us to our final point. Uh, I, I need a rescue. Uh, it's that serious. I need to be delivered from it. So what hope is there for, for God's people? Well, the Bible, as we've seen, and you're studying the Old Testament, part of understanding how to, how to really take in what's going on in the Old is to realize it's a story that continues. And this is actually a great example. The story's not over. 
right? Numbers is going to start to transition. Okay, this first generation didn't go so well, and it's going to start to transition to the second generation. And you start to see the, the, the hope that is built into the Bible story. We need a better Israel. We need a better Israel. First generation in the wilderness doesn't work. Okay, maybe the second generation will be better. And they're a little better. And they end up going into the promised land, but not a whole lot better. We'll get to the end of the book of Numbers and we realize they're rebelling against the Lord too, and it's almost as bad. Uh, we need a better Israel than even the second generation. Well, maybe once they get settled in the land, things will get better. And you read the end of Joshua or, or the book of Judges, and you're, oh, that generation isn't any better either. Maybe if they have a king ruling over them, then, then that will be the better Israel. And it gets a little better under David and Solomon, but not for long. Okay, maybe if God disciplines his people, uh, sends them out of the land, and then brings them back, then, then they'll be the better Israel. Nope, not even the, uh, the, the exiles coming back uh, is, the, is the better Israel. So what's the hope in the story? Well, the hope in the story comes when in the fullness of time, God sends his son. And how the Gospels present Jesus is he's a better Israel. He's an Israel of one, and he's spotless. Uh, for example, in Matthew, Matthew starts off presenting Jesus as he's one who, who goes to Egypt, and then comes out of Egypt, and then coming, uh, coming and starting his earthly ministry, he, he wanders the wilderness. Only, only this Israel is perfect. Unlike the original Israel that came out of Egypt and wandered the wilderness, this Jesus, this Israel of one, Perfect. Even look at even look at the wilderness temptation of Jesus, and you realize this is this is some of the exact same temptations that Israel faced. Uh, that Israel messed up royally. Numbers fourteen. Uh, Jesus is tempted by the devil to to grumble, uh, to grumble against God, to not trust the plan of God, uh, to put God to the test. All these things that Israel does uh, with vivid colors, Jesus is tempted to do. And at every point, spotless. Obeys the Lord. Never grumbles. Never fails to trust the plan of God. Never despises the promises. Uh, never puts his father to the test. Spotless Israel. And yet Jesus, the spotless one, ends up dying. Right? The, the very thing that Numbers 14 emphasizes. This is, the, this is the judgment. This is the curse. They die. They die. They die. Uh, we find spotless Israel, Jesus dies. Not for his own sin, though. It's because he's bearing the curse for us. See, this is the, how we could be rescued. Uh, we, need, uh, we need one to die in our place, to bear the curse for us. Uh, a spotless one. And in, in Israel of one that's perfect to bear the curse, the wilderness, hardness of heart curse, that's what that's what we need. And that's what we have in Jesus. Uh, and that's what we need to cling to. And so passages like this, they're not fun. But they should convict that, wow, this is bad and it's serious. This, this deceitfulness and ugliness of sin and it's far too close uh, than I'd want to admit. This is what drives us to Jesus and why we need to cling to him. And that's why Hebrews 3 talks about holding uh, holding fast, holding on to our confidence to the end. 
right? Our confidence is in Christ. That the book of Hebrews, Christ is better than everything. Uh, and we hold fast to that. Uh, and, it's, and it's to the very end, right? Our, our trust and our need for Jesus is not something that we did yesterday. Oh, check that one off the list. Uh, it's something we need to cling to every day. And a, and a passage like this should remind us, well, I, I need Jesus today more than ever. And I'm going to need him tomorrow. And you're going to need him the day after that. And the day after that. And we hold fast to him all the way to the end. Now, we're going to come back next week and, and revisit some elements of, of this passage and see how God intends also to change us and to transform us so we're, we're less hardened and less fearful and, less, uh, and more and more trusting in the Lord and his greatness. Uh, God does intend to change us, and we'll talk more about that. That's good news, too. Uh, but here, it's, it's focusing in on that ugly deceitfulness of sin, being warned not to be hardened by it, uh, so that we might cling today and every day uh, to our confidence, even Christ. That's what we need, and that's exactly what God's given here. This is why God can be the one who is abounding in steadfast love and also the one who by no means clear the guilty. Yeah, it's Jesus, uh, because he shows his love uh, by exercising his justice and cursing Jesus in our place. It's solved in Jesus. So I'll cling to him. I'll cling to him today. I'll cling to him tomorrow. Uh, that's the Savior that we need. Do you know this Jesus? Uh, he's the only hope. If you're honest with yourself, this hardness of heart, uh, this, this filtering God out of the equation and despising him, it's all too close. We need someone to rescue us, and that's exactly who Jesus is. So cling to him today and every day. Let's pray. Father, we do look to you. We're thankful uh, that in the midst of seeing what we care not to see, uh, how far short we fall, even, even we continue to fall as God's people, uh, we're, we're thankful that you show us in the, in the story of your word that you have you have rescued even a, uh, even a, a people that struggles greatly, even us. Lord, show us the Savior afresh. Uh, Lord, as we, as we see the ugliness in our hearts, help us to see Jesus even more vividly and cling to him so that we might not be fearful, but confident in the right place as we cling to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.